So hear, hear God's word. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is God's word. It is true, and it's given out of his love. You may be seated. So this morning, we have a, a special opportunity. Um, we don't have a guest preacher. We have a, a, a preacher that is one of our own. He's not, he's not a guest, but he is here to, to bring God's word today. So Michael and Debbie Bannon have been a part church for over a year now, right? So, yeah, so kind of uh, one of those pandemic relationships that it was hard to develop in the beginning because we were all locked in our rooms and everything. But Michael and Debbie have been serving with World Ventures since 1981, and they have done that on three different continents. They spent 15 years in Kenya, mm-hmm. and then 16 years in Lithuania, and then six years in Ireland. And so now they are serving uh, with this, this ministry, World Venture, by helping recruit and train missionaries to go to the ends of the earth to uh, preach the good news of Jesus and see disciples made in all nations. And so Michael and Debbie have been uh, yeah, uh, part of our DCs, and they've been leading with the youth ministry. So all the youth here, I know that I've heard a lot of uh, excited uh, people from the youth DC to hear Michael preach this morning. So we're just grateful for you being able to bring the word today. So let me pray for you, and sure, then we will thank you. study God's word. God, we're so grateful for Michael and his, uh, his love for you, and, and Debbie and her love for you, and how they've been such a blessing to our church this last uh, year plus. And so I pray that this morning, as he opens your word, that we would all have receptive hearts to hear from you, uh, that you would soften our hearts that we would leave uh, uh, having a fresh encounter with you and more in love with you than when we came. So just give him peace as he uh, shows us the beauty of your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. And uh, as um, Pastor Colbert said, Debbie and I have uh, been around the world. And our last ministry was in Galway, Ireland, where I, co-pa- I co-pastored a multi-ethnic, multi-national church of uh, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Today, I'd like to open up God's Word and look at a few passages or a few verses from Philippians. So we're jumping, we've been in Acts, um, we're jumping maybe 20 years ahead or so, and we're reading and we're learning about Paul's message to the Christians in Philippi. I want to give you a brief introduction about what was going on in Philippi. As you looked at Acts, and we're not there yet, but you see that some amazing things happened in Philippi. Paul was in prison, they were singing at night, and the gates opened, and the jailers thought, oh no, everybody's escaped, you know, because normally when the doors open, they want to escape. And um, Paul was there. They didn't escape. God did some great things there. Another great thing that happened there was that the, um, there was a young per- person who had been possessed. And apparently she had been um, following Paul for some time, I don't know, days. 
And it seems like finally Paul just kind of goes, ugh, you know, I'm frustrated. And the demon is cast out, and of course people don't like that as well. So incredible miracles happened while they're in Philippi, while Paul is in Philippi. And they leave. Paul is writing a letter now, uh, some years later. And he's writing to the believers there. And Philippi was a place that had been originally started, or was a Roman uh, colony. So the people of Philippi were considered Roman citizens. It was also a place where there was a, a Roman uh, army was there. They were stationed there. So you had a lot of active duty Roman soldiers and a lot of uh, retired vets there, okay? As part of their uh, stipend or retirement, they were given land. So it was a Latin colony within a Greek-speaking world. Very, very different uh, cultures, of course, different languages. Paul is writing to these Christians there. He's writing to them, and he's writing about, some would say, well, the theme of, Roman, of Philippians is joy. That is one theme, but he's writing about some other things. We see that as we look at uh, the beginning of Philippians, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants, but also can be translated as slaves of our Lord Jesus Christ to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So he immediately puts himself and Timothy as servants, the lowest of low, writing to these Christians there. We go on and we see another verse there which is important to look at, and I think that's going to come up there. And it's Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. And in that verse, he says, I, talking about living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, and he wants them to conduct themselves in that way. When I first became a believer, back in college many, many years ago, I was inspired by verses like this. I wanted to live the life that Jesus had for me. I wanted to do all that Jesus had for me. But how to live this life? How to live this life? As Paul writes here, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Here, in this chapter, in this book, we see the importance comes down to that. And then Paul, right after that, talks about the verses that were read earlier, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Paul really sets the standard high, doesn't he? He puts that bar way up, doesn't he? Living like Christ. As a new believer, and, and many of us here today, we think, how is that possible? To live this life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Often we fall, we fail, we sin, and we know that we have forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And for some of us here, I know in my life, years ago, I thought surely this is an impossible life to live, living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We've 
many of us have read chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, over and over again. And we feel like it's this bar, that goal way out there, beyond our reach. Perhaps some of us are wanting to give up. We see our own imperfections. We see our own sins. Our faults are deficiencies of life and personality. And we think, surely, that is not the life for me. Paul really sets the bar high with Jesus, doesn't he? In those first few verses of chapter 2. And then we look at Paul's life. I just want to read, and I think that's going to come up there in 2 Corinthians, chapter um, 11, verses 24 to 28. And that's an incredible um, a view or picture of Paul's life. Let me just read a few of those verses there. So, okay. And verse uh, 24. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, and danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That's an amazing resume, isn't it? And I think, and perhaps maybe some of you here think, this Christ-like life, living in a manner worthy of Christ, it is not for me. I thought living the Christ-like life was for the few. The men and women that we read books about, the men and women who write the books, right? Perhaps I should settle for less. Perhaps my dreams were like a man with heart problems who is sitting in his couch watching the swimming Olympics. Doesn't know how to swim. Really couldn't swim one length of a pool let alone an Olympic pool. But he becomes inspired by what he sees. And he tells his wife, I'm going to train for those next Olympics in four years. He seems to be out of touch to us, doesn't he? And perhaps I was out of touch to think that I could live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ with my history, with my background, with all that was part of me, my weaknesses, my sins, the deficiency of my personality, the things that I don't like about myself, let alone what other people don't like about me. How could I live this life? Well, we know that the Christian life is a commitment, don't we? It's a mindset, it's an attitude, prayer, fellowship, scripture, service, service in our Lord Jesus Christ. The athlete has to train and train and train 
in order to be the best. However, in the Christian life, if you name Jesus as Lord and Savior, if he's your redeemer, if he is the one who has forgiven your sin, this life, this living a life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ is possible. It is possible. But do I want that? And I ask you today, do you want that? Do you want to be all in? Do you want to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? I know that many here do. I know many of you do. I see it. I hear it. I pray that those who are living in such a way, I want to encourage you to continue on, to be inspired. But perhaps, maybe some here say to themselves, no, I don't want that. Maybe some will say, maybe. Maybe some will say, I don't know if that's what I want. I ask you today, what do you want? What do you want in your life? Do you want to live a life worthy, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? Well, Paul certainly was all in, wasn't he? And he certainly wanted to live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We read that in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 16. I don't know if I put that in there. But let's, I'd just like to read. Chapter 3 of Philippians, verses 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And he continues on and says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Well, as Paul sought Christ-likeness, as he pressed on, one of his prayers was that he would get to Rome. A letter that was probably written around 57 AD, letter to the Romans. Paul writes to the Roman Christians there. We see in Romans chapter 1, verse 10. He expressed a desire to come and visit them. And God did answer Paul's prayer, didn't he? But how did he answer God, his prayer? Just kind of got him on a, a boat and boom, he was there? No. First of all, there's a riot in Jerusalem. Paul is taken into protective custody. That morphs into arrest. There are accusations. There's death threats. There's an assassination plot. He appeals to the emperor, and then there's a shipwreck. But finally, he's in Rome, and he's in chains. God has answered his prayer. Wow, that's exciting. 
that Paul, when he prayed that prayer, know how God was going to answer his prayer? Uh, no, I don't think he did. And many of us, when we first came to faith in Jesus, we prayed a prayer, didn't we? And perhaps the journey that the Lord has brought us through is a little bit more difficult than we realized at the time. Do I want this life of Christ-likeness? Do I want this? What's your answer? Is it no? Is it maybe? Is it yes? I pray it is yes, that your answer is yes. A life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Well, Paul has set that bar high, high, hasn't he? It's quite high there. And we may think there's not, that is not for me. But let's look at the lives of two men that I would say Paul uses as an illustration. Two men that were living this life. A perfect, a good illustration. He's talking about Timothy and Epaphroditus. Interesting that they come right after, this illustration comes right after the verses that we read earlier. Philippians chapter 2, 1 to 11. And there's a little bit of a, you know, a few words that Paul says about um, grumbling and disputing. It's interesting that that's in there. Seems that the Philippian Christians had a little bit of problem with that, grumbling and disputing about what was going on at their church. Well, Paul brings up Timothy. Okay, two very different men, as I said, in very different circumstances, with very different talents and gifts. Now he says here, let's look at here, verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. He wants to send Timothy. Paul implies that Timothy will make the trip to Philippi, stay a bit, and then return with some good news, joyful news. News that they are striving on as one for the gospel. News that they are serving one another and putting the interest of others first before their own. A trip that at their time and their days would take weeks. Now why Timothy? Let's continue on here. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy understands what it means to be united in spirit with the believers, with other believers. He puts the interest of Christ first and the interest of others first. He has proven himself to the Philippians, to the Christians there in Philippi. He has a genuine concern, it says. He has served them in Jesus as he sought to live a life in the manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. This word concerned here that we see in verse 20, the translations that we see in English really don't give it the full impact. It could mean worries. It could mean anxiety. It could mean being anxious. 
the Philippians would associate the word with that same inner stress over present and possible problems. Concern, take an interest, are too mild in the translations. Paul in 2 Corinthians, and I just read that, expresses that same anxiousness or worry. He says, the daily pressure of me, of my anxiety for all the churches. Now, Paul did write Romans 8, 38, Romans 8, 38 and 39, right? That nothing can separate us from the love of God. Paul also in Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. However, he was aware of the weaknesses of those who had professed faith. He was aware of the conflict they were in, the distractions, the persecution, this momentary affliction that we find ourselves in. Paul was anxious or deeply experiencing the inner stress and turmoil concerning their faith. He wants to send Timothy because Timothy has that same inner anxiety, concern for the Christians in Philippi. He puts others first. Timothy is not like those kind of Christians that we read about, and maybe not, we don't know for sure, but Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 and 17. He's not like these at all. Let me read that. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. And then 17. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Timothy is not that kind of person. He is different. His manner of life shows it. Part of the conflict for the Philippian believers was coming from other brothers and sisters in Christ. They were, putting, they were not putting others first. Chapter 4 gives us a little insight. And we can read about that, about these two people there that um, need to work out some problems, okay? A similar situation was happening in Gal among the Galatians. We see that in chapter 5, verse 15 of Galatians. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The context of this verse is using our freedom in which we should be loving one another and using our freedom to bite and devour one another. But Timothy was not living such a way. He was living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Timothy was all in. Timothy wanted all that Jesus had for him. Now, Timothy could have said that he wasn't wired for ministry. He was spoken well of by the brothers in Lystra. About 50 AD, Timothy is asked to be one of Paul's traveling companions to the different churches. Now, Timothy had uh, a few, um, let's say, personality um, issues, okay, or weaknesses. We see in um, Corinthians chapter 16, verses 10 to 11, the first letter, sorry, first letter to the Corinthians, 
chapter 16, verse 10 and 11. It says, if Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he was with you. For he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should refuse to accept him. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. Now remember, Paul is writing to the Christians in Philippi. He's not writing to the outsiders. He's not writing to the people at the marketplace. He's writing to those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. And he's concerned for his disciple, his helper, Timothy. Those feisty Corinthians must have been quite the Corinthian, the church there, huh? That Paul actually is writing to them. Don't, don't devour him. Don't bite him. Don't chew him. But be kind so that he could go away in peace. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy. Now this is about 62 to 66 AD. The first, um, first letter to Corinthians was written in 56. Okay, so about 10 years, let's say 10, 8, 10 years later now. He says, don't let anyone despise your youth. More than 10 years serving with Paul, he is con still considered young and seems to be looked down by some of the believers. And Paul says, you know, Timothy, be strong. Don't let them look down on you. Timothy seemed to have some stomach problems as well, didn't he? First Timothy 5.23, Paul writes, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So he has some stomach issues as well. He... Um, Let's continue on here. Then later on, 2 Timothy. Now we're back, now we're to 65 AD about, okay? Paul tells Timothy that we haven't been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. After years of service at Paul's side, Timothy still needs to be reminded that God's Holy Spirit instills love and power, but not timidity. By the grace of the Holy Spirit, Timothy had found power to push back against his timidity, against his fears, the many struggles that he encountered in his life and in the church. Put aside those fears and weaknesses. Care more about Jesus and the gospel of Jesus and therefore Jesus' people. Timothy, an example of what, what it means to put Christ first was Paul's right-hand man, putting Christ first in Paul's imprisonment, not serving out of envy or rivalry or selfish ambition, being there with Paul when others would have been ashamed, afraid, embarrassed to be associated with such a one, being by Paul's side when Paul's judicial fate would have be decided. Paul uncertain of what the next day, of what the days would bring, wants Timothy right there with him. Wouldn't it be so good to have a brother or sister in the Lord like Timothy? I want to be a Timothy. Do you want to be a Timothy or Timothea?
I sure would like to have that. And by God's grace, I would like to be that. Timothy, the beloved son, would follow his spiritual father even to prison someday, the servant of Christ. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 23. Surely Timothy lived life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then there's Epaphroditus. When Epaphroditus arrives in Rome, it's like the whole Philippian church arrives. However, he either came sick or he, shortly after his arrival, became deathly sick. The Philippians had heard about it and then gotten word back to Paul. Now, you have to think, weeks have transpired here. It appears that they don't know the outcome. Is Epaphroditus, is he alive, is he dead? Paul writes this letter to the believers in Philippi, and he will also send Epaphroditus with the letter. Perhaps Paul felt that Epaphroditus would help heal the divisions better. The divisions that we read about here in this um, epistle here, with this letter. Perhaps they would hear the message better from a person who died, was willing to die for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will hopefully want to hear from one of their own. Maybe to some this was a small act. However, an example of living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ that had eternal repercussions. Epaphroditus is just a messenger. He's just bringing some news. He's just bringing some money, some gifts to Paul. He's a messenger for the Christians in Philippi. To some, it might appear like, ah, a small act, nothing. Anybody could do that. Paul gives Epaphroditus five respectful titles as he reintroduces Epaphroditus back to his people, to the Christians there in Philippi. Three as they relate to Paul, and two as they relate to the believers in Philippi. Now, Epaphroditus means one who's dedicated to Epaphroditus, the goddess. But now, here's a man dedicated, not to the Greek goddess of love, but to the God who is love. And Paphroditus dedicates himself to Christ. He dedicates himself to the believers in Philippi. He dedicates himself to the servant of the servant there in chains. Paul reintroduces himself. Paul, who's a former Pharisee, a Jew of Jews, elevates Paphroditus to brother. So he's putting him in that same level. He's a brother. And then he says he's a fellow worker. He works side by side with Paul. When Epaphroditus arrives home, he arrives with the title of a fellow worker of Paul. We know with what great respect, with great love, the believers in Philippi had for Paul. Paul is wanting them to give that same love that same respect to Epaphroditus. He's wanting the believers in Philippi to listen to him, 
for he's my brother, he's my fellow worker. And then Paul says he's a fellow soldier. And I had already mentioned that there was a lot of um, Roman soldiers there, retired and active. He says he's a fellow soldier. He fought side by side with Paul in the great spiritual conflict that we read about in chapter 1, verses 17, and then 27 to 30. For those active and former Roman soldiers in this church that prided themselves in being Latin, living in a Rome away from Rome, Roman citizens, these soldiers that were willing to give up their lives for the empire, for the emperor, Caesar, these soldiers that were willing to give up their lives. Paul now reintroduces Epaphroditus as a fellow spiritual soldier, willing to give up his life, willing to give up his life for the true king. One who fought alongside Paul, who fights the fight of faith in Jesus. And then there's two titles as related to the Philippians. He's a messenger and a minister. The word minister was used for political dignitaries, angels or priests who served in the temple. Those who would offer a gift, a fragrant offering, a thanks offering. And he did bring that gift of money, didn't he? The believers would get the meaning, the associations. They would understand what Paul was saying, a sacrificial offering that they were offering, giving. They were priests together. The believers in Philippi, Epaphroditus, the offering. It is the offering is to Paul, but the offering is for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, receive him with all joy. From Paul's perspective, there's only one cause. There's only cause for complete and all joy upon Epaphroditus' arrival. From Paul's perspective, there is only cause for complete and all joy upon his arrival. And Paul says, I want you to honor men, I want you to honor women who are willing to put their lives on the line for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Women and men who are willing to give up their own dreams, their own hopes, their own desires, their own agendas, their own comforts, perhaps their own lives, to serve the believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. Two men who are victorious soldiers in Jesus, who give their all for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two men, three men, really, Paul, living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. One putting aside his inherent weaknesses, stomach issues, shy, timid, however you want to say it. Putting aside their inner and outer turmoil. Oh, I'm too young, no one's going to listen to me. But they put that aside and they serve Jesus Christ. They serve the brethren. They serve the followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. One who almost died to bring the gift, the offering, the sacrificial offering. And then Paul read about it, read, stoned, left for dead, 
They left him for dead out there, beaten, imprisoned. The health issues that Paul must have at this point in life, I can't imagine. After all that he's gone through. And then there's Timothy with his health issues. And then his Epaphroditus just recovering. It must have been an interesting thing to see. These three men caring for one another, all having some sort of a health issue or weaknesses, but yet they are joyful. And Paul keeps on telling us that here in this letter, be joyful, be joyful. He definitely is speaking from experience, isn't he? Serving one another, uplifting one another, praying for one another. Their lives were the true offering, weren't they? Timothy and Epaphroditus willing to be associated with Paul and to not be ashamed in his imprisonment. You know, this time the earthquake didn't open the doors. You know, and this time there, we don't hear about any, you know, miraculous things. He's just there in prison. And perhaps the Christians in Philippi were thinking, is this really the gospel? Is this really the truth? Look at Paul. Man, his life seems to be falling apart. He's not being released. Paul wants to assure them. He wants to assure them that the Lord is at work. Well, we have these two men who want to be with Paul, to be next to Paul, to serve Paul, to minister to Paul, to be servants to slaves of Paul, the slave of Jesus Christ, and they want to be slaves to the slave. When others sought to make life difficult and miserable for Paul, these men were not afraid to suffer with him in his humiliation. We need men and women like this today who are willing with all joy, with all joy to share in the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ, who are willing to be all in. And by that I mean serving fellow believers in Jesus Christ. Are you all in? Are you all in? Do you want to be all in? Serve the believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. Epaphroditus didn't know what eternal repercussions his small service would bring, did he? Just bringing some gift. But yet we have this letter, Philippians, today. Because it was just some communication, just. Let's throw that word out. <laughs> it was communication between the believers and Paul. Epaphroditus, Timothy. I think today of men and women of our Lord Jesus who are not writing the books. They're not going to have a Epaphroditus. I've never seen the saint Epaphroditus church. Men and women who are not going to have cities named after them. But like hundreds and thousands who have gone before were willing to do the small thing. But in the eyes of our God, having eternal repercussions. Men and women to be servants to the servants of our Lord Jesus Christ. Men and women who are going to serve the young, going to serve the weak. With humility, they put other believers first. 
men and women who are going to serve. We need men and women like that in this church, don't we? Who are going to serve others. Serving others. This is living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Serving other believers. Mark 10.45 For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Gracious and loving Father, we thank you for your goodness. We are inspired. Uh, we are challenged. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would strengthen each one of us to put our own interest where they belong, and to think of our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We pray that we would have that attitude that our Lord Jesus Christ has. We need you to do this. Help us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's um, a few questions there on your table. We take about 10 minutes to um, go through them, chat, talk about those. Um, they're just the questions to get your thinking, hopefully your thinking, and just to think about the, what we've just looked at. Ask yourselves how you can apply the words of God, the words of Scripture to your lives, okay? There's there the questions right there. What about Paul or Timothy or Papaditis resonates with you or perhaps speaks to you? And that, it could either comfort you, challenge you, or inspire you, or help you to move on. What, what may keep some Christians living, in a, living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Do I want to live in a manner worthy of the gospel? What may hinder me? And then the third one, is it easy to have an attitude of service to other believers? Why is it hard to serve other believers at times? All right, hope, hope your discussions went well. Uh, such a, a great thing that we're able to do every week as we turn inward to these tables and process what God is showing us through the, the power of his word. It's not just uh, that we sit and we listen to someone talk about Jesus, but then we get to uh, experience the love of Jesus through the love of his people at these tables. So thanks for um, yeah being a church that loves each other well. And thanks, Michael, for preaching this morning, for bringing the word. I, it's such a, a great uh, picture of, of what it means to, to follow Jesus. Um, yeah, amen. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. <laughs> um, I think listening, you can tell that you have spent a lot of time saturated in the scripture, all the different passages that were brought in and different places to draw from. I think one of our, our values as a church is we want to be a place that is scripture saturated, which means that the word of Christ would dwell in us richly, that it would permeate all we think, say, and do. And I think uh, a lifetime of faithfulness from you, Michael, has been a good example of that today. So um, yeah, so this, this uh, message was very uh, challenging, right? You look at the examples of Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, and, and you think, like Michael was asked us, like, is that a life that we're able to do? Can we really live a life worthy of the gospel? If you set the bar that high with saying, this is a, I live an example that is worthy of pointing people to Jesus, that's a, a challenging question for all of us. And then I love this, bring it down to the simple thing of you live a life worthy of the gospel by emulating the one who embodied the gospel, Jesus, when he came to serve us. And when we do simple things of serving one another, that is a way that we can embody and live out this call to have a life worthy of the gospel.
gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, but then there's this, this, this realization that, that even that example, we will continually fall short of. If, if we approach the Christian life just as, I need a good example to emulate, that, would, that is not a, a gospel-centered approach to Christianity at all. But what we see, uh, Michael referenced in uh, Philippians 3.12, where even Paul, I mean, the greatest Christian who ever lived, this is how he describes himself, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. It's the power of the cross. It's the power of what Jesus did that inside of us allows us to live that life worthy of the example of Jesus Christ. There's this, there's this concept um, that I, I got from a, a theologian that says the, the, the world treats us as if we have an external problem with an internal solution. So that the world says everything that's going on wrong in your life, if you just look deeper within yourself, you will find the answers. Just you do you, you be true to yourself. But the gospel tells us we actually have an internal problem with an external solution. It's the exact opposite. The problem is my own heart and my own sin. And the, the hope that I have comes not from looking deeper inside of myself, but by looking to Jesus and seeing him as the only one that can save us. So that's why we, we end every service with communion, because this is this reminder that the way that we live a life worthy of the example of Jesus, the way that we can press on and make this our own, like Paul said, is because Jesus has already made us his own. And so we come to the table now. We have the, the communion tables on both sides up here. Um, and, and what this is, this sacrament that we embrace every week is a reminder of the way that Jesus made us his own. That he, he was willing to serve us to the extent that he laid down his life for our sins. Okay, and it's also not just that Jesus died in our place, but also that he lived in our place. So when you, when you take the cracker representing Jesus' body that was broken for you, it's a reminder that in all the ways that we stumble and all the ways that we fail, Jesus already lived those perfectly. He obeyed in every way that we have failed to obey. And then when you take the juice as a reminder of Jesus' blood shed for you, it's a picture of the fact that in all those shortcomings and those failures, the penalty that we have earned has been washed away by the blood of Jesus because his death has atoned or paid the penalty for the, the punishment that we deserve. And so if you are a follower of Christ, we invite you to come to the table in these next two songs. We, we, we respond to what God has shown us through his word preached today by living it out throughout the week, but also by reminding ourselves that the only way we can have that power is because Jesus Jesus Christ has already made us his own. So if you will stand with me as I pray, then we will go to this time of worship and communion. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful uh, for your, your word that was preached today. We're grateful for the way that Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus have modeled for us what a life worthy of the call of the gospel is. This, this humble posture of servant, of service uh, that, that we see not even in their examples as much as we see in the uh, way that you came to earth to die for us, to serve us as our Savior. And so as we, as we come to the table, as we take these elements, may they nourish our souls. May they remind us that you have made us your own by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's in his powerful name we pray. Amen.